Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. This is Lori Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. And today we're talking about purpose. And the body love card is the sun is shining and the moon is up and the goddess is walking down the path with her dear animal and there's a lot of nature around and it looks like she's very purposeful. She is going towards some place that she's thinking about. So the back of the card reads, following our purpose leads us to the path that feeds our soul. We all possess unique gifts and we all have the need to express these gifts. To find our calling is to find the path of our hearts, the way of life that makes us feel alive and glad to be here. Over time, we may find many different paths, small and large. We find our calling by listening to our inner voice and doing what feels right and true to ourselves. So for me, this card, how I worked with it with my own eating disorder and alcoholism and drug addiction and relationships and money and every kind of thing that you could think of, how I really worked with this was to find this way of life that would make me feel alive and glad to be here because a lot of these things, they didn't make me feel alive and glad to be here. But I didn't know what else to feel. I didn't know how to get out of the hole that I was in. So finding my purpose and realizing that for me, my purpose was more than a size zero or perfection. My purpose needed to be Lorelei. And who was she? And what did she want to do? And be okay that it wasn't black or white. And that it could be whatever it was. It could be small or large. I had an idea that I had to think about who I was and I could only be that and not taking into consideration that we're human and there's many layers and there's many things to do and to think about. We have lots of thoughts and lots of feelings and to listen to this inner voice is a very quiet, still voice, but changes as I do. So where 10 years ago it told me to be quiet and learn how to teach yoga. It doesn't say that anymore. It's now it says do your yoga. And uh, <laughs> but it's still my inner voice. It's still that small, wonderful little voice inside and always is on my side. Always is thinking about what feels right and perfect for me at this moment. I am so grateful for Linda to be on here today and she's going to talk about purpose with me and I'll let her introduce herself. Hello, I'm thrilled to be here and I resonate already with a lot of what you said about purpose. I'm Linda Shanti McCabe. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, recovery coach, expressive arts therapist, imperfect mom, 
and grief warrior. Oh, new dog owner. <laughs> and new dog owner. Yes. Yeah, I was looking at this card again, and I'm like, oh, maybe that's a dog traveling with her yeah. down the path. We never could figure out, really, somebody else drew these, but we went with it because I feel like it's a dog and Carol thinks it's a deer, and so we think it's a dog deer. It can be anything you want it, it to be. It can be. Your power animal is your own. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I've been on a journey with discovering the differences between dogs and cats recently. That's fun. Yeah, it is <laughs> <Yeah>. fun. <laughs> Someone told me cats don't know how to be codependent, and I'm like, no, I think cats just have different attachment styles. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> And you have to guess which one it is and be okay with it. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Because they do not care what you they are thinking. They do not care much about what you're thinking. Thank you very much. Yeah. So that yeah. is a lot of stuff you just said that you're doing. And you're doing it in New York State? In New York? I'm doing it in New York State, yeah. I'm in upstate New York. Great. I uh, lived in San Francisco for a long time. Two yes. decades, maybe. Yep. And moved back here to be near family after two of my family members died. So oh, okay. That was a journey into talking about purpose. I was thinking about how purpose relates to recovery, how purpose relates to grief, how purpose relates to being a human. And you know that thing about, I don't even know who wrote it, but it's the rules for being human. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about that in the sense of purpose, because there's like big P purpose and there's little P purpose. Right, exactly. And I used to think big P purpose was like doing the thing, like doing the thing that you're supposed to do in this world, in this lifetime, planet, in this body. And no, that's your small P purpose. Your big P purpose is to be a human. Wow. So I have a 10 year old. So we watched the movie Soul recently oh my god so good so good and that i think is the best example of like big p and small p purpose because this guy this character in the movie he thinks his whole job is to be a good musician and to you know make it as a musician and it's like we all get stuck in that like i'm like i'm an author I'm an author, and it's all about... Actually, I never really aspired to be Amazon bestseller because my books have a very small niche market. But reaching the right people, and I'm sure they are reaching the right people, but that's not my big P purpose. My big P purpose is to be a human. That's my right. small P purpose is to write books and to make art and to connect with people as a wounded healer and a therapist and a grief warrior and to be an imperfect mom and do all those things and to paint and write. My big <laughs> yeah. P purpose is to do all the things we have to learn how to do in recovery, which is to have all the feelings and to accept that I will get hungry and full and I am here for a limited period of time, and I will experience loss and joy. And, you know, I was thinking about, like, how to connect, like, big P and little P purpose. Like, we all have the things that we do that we love and the things that we do that we don't love like talk about being a dog owner like I do not love taking the dog out and picking up the poop I don't love that part of being a dog owner but if I want to like have all the joy of having this really cute dog then I have to pick up the poop but if you're lucky and you cultivate it then you can align your small p purpose with your big p purpose so that's what most of us wounded healers have done 
Like we found the thing, whatever it is, like recovery. Now for me, it's like traveling with grief. Oh my God, like I am going to be a grief warrior because we do not live in a grief literate culture. People say stupid things. People do stupid things. People give you casseroles. And so now I'm writing the book that you can give to the people instead of the casserole because we don't live in a grief literate culture. And for me, that brings so much joy to be illustrating and writing this book. So it's like part of my big P purpose, but it's also my small P purpose. Of course, it's both. And then it's also who you are as a person because of what you've been through. So not only you're teaching, but also you're living your own self. Right. Like when I work with clients, and I'm sure you do this too, if they're lucky, they had some period of time before the trauma or with someone that either in their family or a friend or a close friend of the family that helped them find the thing that brought them joy. Exactly. And so like for me, if you went back before the eating disorder, I was making art. It's just what I was doing. It's just who I was. And so when I was thrown into this world of grief, that's what I found myself doing. It wasn't because like I was going to write a book. It was just because for me, when I'm being my essential self, that's me being me as I'm making art. And how much... I don't know if joy would be the right word, but how much deeper did you get to experience not only grief, but also happiness because of your art? Because that's where hopefully we can go to it. I want to talk a little about your grief warrior. So you just don't normally get those two words together. It's more like grief stricken and warrior princess. I don't know the thing. So how did that happen that you put those two words together? How did you start on that path? You know, I love the term because it's abuse survivors. Right. They're not victims. When they get into recovery, they're like, I'm a survivor. I'm a warrior. So it's a way to claim this thing and kind of, I don't know if I want to say normalize. I wouldn't normalize it with abuse, obviously. But with grief, I would normalize it in the sense of, again, we don't really live in a culture, and it's not anyone's fault. We don't live in a health and every size culture. We We don't live in a culture that says, actually, if you get thin, quote unquote, you're not guaranteed to be happy. You're not guaranteed to, you know, not have your loved ones die. You're not guaranteed to never feel fear or insecurity or unworthiness. That's just part of the deal. And it has nothing to do with the size of your body. Like we're not taught that. And the same thing with grief, where like people don't know what to do with it. So they sort of pity you or they think like, I thought, like I went through doctoral level psychology training. I had nothing in grief except for the stupid five stages. And actually, I love David Kessler who co-wrote them, because even he says they're not linear. They're all over the place. They're all over the place. You don't graduate. It never ends. And they were written for the person that was dying to come into an acceptance process with their death. They weren't written for the survivors, even though the survivors cycle through them. They have a good map. There's lots of theories about grief, which some of them, like, I find personally some of them helpful and some of them not. We all find the ones that work for us. But I'm starting to call myself a grief warrior because like when you get into recovery, suddenly you're like, oh, no, we're not going to talk about diets here. No, (laughs) no, no. Right, right, right. right. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't move on from grief. We move forward with grief. I know exactly what you mean. I have a client who says something like, I was all about accepting my body. And then all of a sudden, I'm not accepting it. It's like, did you get older? 
Did something happen? Did you put on a pair of pants that you could wear, but your butt fell down to your knees because whatever? Or that, I don't know, a thousand million things. It's not like, okay, we're stuck with this forever. It's never like that. It's never going to be like that. It's an ongoing process. Oh, I'm going to accept this. Okay. It's like that five stages of grief. The last one is acceptance. So then that means it's over? No. That doesn't mean that it might be over for the person who died, but we don't know what happens after that. So maybe it continues on. I love that. It's, no, it's not black and white. We want everything to be a diet. Like I go on the diet, I lose the weight, it's over, and now I'm free. No, never, ever, never. I know people want that with recovery too. Like they, they want do. to be recovered. And I claim both like recovering and recovered because I don't think it has to be. Like, of course you can be free from the behaviors. Do you want to keep growing? Okay, then keep growing. And actually, David Kessler, one of the original people with five stages that wrote with Kubler-Ross, he just came out with a new book, The Sixth Stage of Grief. <gasps> Which is, it's never going to end. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it should be called. That's right. No, that's the title of my book. No, okay. just kidding. <laughs> Which you'll sell one copy because yeah, nobody right. wants to hear that. People are going to be like, no, no, you. no, no. No, his book is called Finding Meaning, the Sixteenth. Oh, beautiful. What is the name of your book coming up? My book is called After Your Person Dies. Oh. And it's a book of affirmations. With all the paintings that I did the first year after my husband died. Oh, and that to me is that grief of your person dying, whoever that person is, is just a soul breaker, heartbreaker. And how beautiful that you are doing that. I am so glad that you're doing that. Thank you. So you're a single mom now, and that's a huge job, obviously. That's a huge job, and thus the dog. Thus the dog. <laughs> they did have that study about would women rather have a dog or a man? And they're like, a dog, I think. A lot of them said dog more than you think. Anyway, I'm so glad to know that you're writing this book, especially right now. We have lost so much in the last year and a half. Has it even been a year? I don't even know what year this is right now. I feel like we've lost time and space. Yeah. Well, and that's another reason why I'm a therapist. So what do therapists do when they're in grief? They go to grief therapy, of course. <laughs> and then they get certified in grief counseling, which I just did. Right. And then they start to teach it. <laughs> then we start to teach it, right? right? That's what I'm heading towards. But the world, I feel like not blessed, obviously, but I feel like a sense of purpose in the sense of, oh, here we are in a world of that's in grief. So what better service for me to offer than to be a grief warrior that's in a world of grief? Yeah, we're in a world of grief and fear and the unknown and uncontrollable. I mean, there's no controlling. Even if we think that our numbers are down, oh, popped up. Some people here popped up. Wow, what's that? We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. And I think back to recovery, people that are recovering from or trying to recover from disordered eating don't really like to not know. They don't like to not know. They need a plan. Even if it's a bad plan, 
I feel better with a plan. Yeah, but that plan will never work. You cannot take out huge groups of food for the rest of your life. It just cannot work. Well, it's a plan and I'm sticking with it. (laughs) It makes me feel better to think of it. Yeah. And so then we're back to this thing about purpose, because I think that's where the eating disorder serves this purpose. It's a false purpose, but this purpose of not having to sit with uncertainty. And so then we have this plan, we don't have to be with uncertainty, and then that's our purpose. But then it backfires. Always. And so then I was thinking about, like, with recovery, with grief, with any kind of, like you were saying, the life transition, the spiral of if you're going through another round of, like, body image distress or something, and you're like, I should be over this right now, I've been in recovery for da-da-da. And it's just another layer of how do I need to be a human right now? Not how do I need to be have a plan? How do I get to be a human right now and sit with the discomfort of not knowing? Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I. When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call the bleed. My name is Laura Lee. And this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. Wow. So good. Exactly. And that idea of being a human. We have made humans wrong in the world because we're so messed up. (laughs) But the humanness of us is not messed up. The things that we're doing or thinking or the decisions we've made are not always the best, but we're finding our way as a human, right? To be a best human. There's that saying of, we're not human beings trying to be spiritual. We're spiritual beings trying to be human. And it really is a lot harder to do it that way (laughs) because it's trying to remember that we're actually we're okay is a very hard thing to swallow when we see all this destruction around us. Or even if we're not okay and we're okay. And, you know, that's where I find like spiritual practice is really helpful because the ground of that is there is no ground. That's right. Like the Dalai Lama says, somebody said, well, can you control anything? And he just goes, no. Oh my God. His little head shake. No, nothing. Right. And there's this quote from Anne Lamott that I looked up because I love it about uncertainty. Uh-huh. Can I read it? Yeah, and God. of course. She says, God doesn't give us answers. God gives us her own self. Left to my own devices, I would prefer answers. That is why I am in charge of so little. The pet, <laughs> the shopping, the garden. <laughs> <laughs> and she has another thing about that her and her partner learned how to dance step step slide you know so she's in charge of step slide and only of her own step slide slide not of even her partners because he was always doing it wrong oh that's so great that's a great quote we have to remember that how do you gently guide your clients especially ones that are going through such deep grief or a deep illness or deep hatred of themselves, loathing of their bodies, or so discouraged about their food thing. You know, my training is in imaginal psychology, and they have a concept in there of the friend. It's kind of like 
probably came from Rumi. I don't know where it came from. But anyway, the friend the is beloved. like, yeah, it's compassionate objectivity. And so like with the self-loathing, you call the eating disorder Ed a lot. I help them personify it. Sometimes I do expressive art. So sometimes I have them collage it or write from the voice of Ed or make a drawing of Ed, write a breakup letter to Ed. We yeah. do all that. But I think the first thing is disidentifying from the voice of self-loathing enough to see that is not you. That is not you. That is just something that you have been listening to for a long time, usually long time. And so you think it's the truth and you walk around thinking this self-loathing is the truth and you're looking at the world through self-loathing colored glasses. So the first step is just taking off the glasses and going, oh my God, those are glasses. Yeah. I don't have to even have those glasses on. Those are glasses, right. right. And then my clients are always like, can I just get rid of the glasses? And I would love to say, yes, you can get rid of the glasses. And I do have clients smash their scales in session. I do all those kinds of things. But unfortunately, I have not found a way to smash the voice of self-loathing. Or smash the scale that we all have in our head at all times. Like, oh, I couldn't believe I weighed that much. Really? I bet you had it almost to an ounce. Really? Somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah. So it's more about disidentifying from the voice. And then we can do all kinds of things with that. Like we could talk back to it. We could just notice it. You know, we could put thought diffusion. I'm noticing I'm having the thought that I'm noticing Ed is saying blah, blah, blah. And I work on cultivating the voice of self-kindness and self-compassion, right? We all know this is the answer and it sounds so easy and it is so hard. Well, of course, it sounds easy to talk about it as a, you know, this other person. But when we're in it, we forget. It's sort of like I had to remember that I am not the enemy. Like I had to actually clunk that in at certain times. Wait, if I was my own best friend, what would I say? If my own best friend talked to me the way that I talked to me, they wouldn't be my best friend. <laughs> I would not have that friend. That's right. And I use some metaphor. Like I work with a lot of new moms, but even the clients that I have that are not moms totally get when I say, would you feed your child only fat-free milk and a bag of chips or nothing, five pints of ice cream? <laughs> Right? right? I mean, it's like, of course not. Of course of not. Of course not. Sometimes my son and I have been watching The Mandalorian. I don't know if you've seen that or not. I haven't seen Disney it. Plus. I, I have grown, I have a grown son who I don't, he doesn't watch cartoons with me anymore. He doesn't No, he doesn't. Um, and I don't live okay. close to my grandchildren or I would have a better handle on all these things. For sure. <laughs> so, so the Mandalorian, just briefly metaphor, is... The story of Baby Yoda. He's, yeah. he's like Baby Yoda, right? It's okay. very cute. Yeah, very cute. But then next to this big, like, warrior guy that is protecting Baby Yoda. Okay, yes. Yeah. So that's what you have to become with your new recovery, your new grief, your new vulnerability, your new baby externally if you have a new baby but also internally with your new recovery baby you have to be the mandalorian that big protector with the baby yoda and then you have to be the warrior mandalorian with the voice of self-loathing and that all of that all the shoulds and judgments and i should be further along and the perfectionism and the blood of that yes i love that so much and one of the things you said a minute ago was 
how we don't do grief very well. And we certainly don't do death and dying at all. Three different things, death, dying, and grief. We don't do any of that. And if you put that into the eating disorder world, there's a weird thing that I have noticed that, especially maybe out here in California, that if you eat right, if you eat healthy and clean, there's like a secret, you won't die. Not only will you be thin and happy and healthy and blonde and beautiful and young, but you won't die. And that if you do die, you did something wrong. It is so insane. I see it all the time pop up here and there. And I think we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> we have got to, we have to live on the planet. We need to live in the reality. Here. Oh my God. I had this conversation when my husband had cancer with the oncological nutritionist because I have done two decades of work around decriminalizing food, right? So there are no bad foods. Food is not wrong. But still in the cancer community, there's this thing about sugar is bad. Yes. Sugar is bad. Oh, I you know. know. So I was like, I, I found myself getting sucked in. I'm like, no, honey, you can't eat sugar. You know, it'll and then I was the, like, it'll I, feed the okay. tumor. Oh my, my, oh my God. I know. I know. And less, I think this was a complete higher power thing. The oncological nutritionist was like, all food is sugar. All food is sugar. Right. Like, right? Oh my God. Okay. Thanks for that. Yep. Thanks Everything for that. Everything turns into sugar. Everything. Everything turns into sugar. That's right. <laughs> and this term clean eating, I find that so funny because like, where does all our food come from? It comes from the dirt. The dirt. And guess where we go when we die? The dirt. Where did we all come from? The dirt. Right? <laughs> nobody came from outer space that we know of. Elon Musk, maybe, but nobody else. We're all here on the planet, all of us. We're all parts of the planet and each other. It's so insane, that whole clean eating. I can't, if my clients even start to say that, I go, uh, I can't, no. <laughs> Just ask them, where did your food come from? Where did it come from? Did it right. come from outer space or did it come from dirt? It is a mind blower when I tell them all things turn into sugar. If you go to the hospital, that's what they're putting straight in your veins, glucose, water and sugar, and maybe fat. I know, that's another fear food, yeah. I know, yeah. but I think that so good that you blew that up that picture of if you eat right you won't die and i can remember a good friend of mine dying of breast cancer and she said to me one night i've always hated my breasts and i wonder if i gave myself breast cancer and i was like no this is our stupid culture right now that we can control every little thing you got breast cancer because you got it right. and exactly. what can we do about it what are we going to do about it but you hating your breasts, like most women in America, no, I don't think so. Yeah. So I did my doctoral research on body image, and it's called body objectification theory. So we live in this culture that objectifies women's bodies, right? And there's this theory which made sense to me when I read it, which is that underneath that, this body objectification obsession we have is fear of death. I'm like, oh, of course. All this thing about if you're young enough or thin enough or Pretty whatever enough, it is. Whatever, yeah. If you eat clean. I mean, it's really the only truth we know, though, is that we're going to die. But we spend a lot of energy trying to avoid that. 
Yet I'm at that age group where a lot of my friends have died in the last few years. Not of COVID, of all kinds of different cancer, heart attack. One person had such a rare cancer, nobody even knew what the name of it was until they really researched it a lot. But not one of them said, wow, I wish I hadn't eaten that other ice cream cone. They all go, I wish I had not worked as much, eaten a little bit more ice cream, maybe had some french fries. <laughs> you know, I wish I had gone ahead and kissed that guy in fourth grade. I wish I would have, whatever. All the things that we think that we shouldn't do, they wish that they had done them more. Yeah, the things that bring the happiness and the joy and the fulfillment and the purpose. And the purpose, yep. And the big P of really stepping into their life and being their human. Yep, yep. The big P and the little the big P. Like I find myself, I've, I hung a birdhouse outside my office window and I'm just like thrilled there's a chickadee nesting in it. I'm oh. like, it like brings me tears. It's just... <laughs> It is. Just like appreciating the chickadee. (laughs) Yeah. We just found we have a bluebird nest, a very impressive bluebird nest. I think bluebirds must be the engineers of the bird world. This is a high rise in a tree, but they are bossy, these birds, the blue jays. If they could put their hands on their hips, they would be telling us every minute, do not come out of your house for another three weeks or whatever, however long it is. But I agree. I just get the biggest kick that it's out there. And the parents are just bossy and bossing us around on their playground and being in their yard. <laughs> but yeah, it's so sweet to be able to live with that, with nature. And I think nature is such a good healer. Nature is such a good example of right purpose, because it's just so embracing of it all. It just it does all. what it does. Does what it yeah. does. Yeah, and it's all juxtaposed next to each other. There's like the death and the birth, like right there, and all the messy middle. It's all right there. I just got back from Hawaii and try to hold those tides back or worry about whether I think it's too wet. The waves are too rough to go paddle boarding today. Yeah, try to change that. Absolutely not. Just wait for another day. But I was thinking about how we were going on this one path on this walk that we always do, and the path has gotten washed out since, I don't know, the last time we were there, which was two years ago. But they didn't make a new path. People did, but they didn't repair that path. And I think, of it like, of course not. If you want to go out to the end of the island, then you get there however way you need to. We're not going to come and put a new <laughs> path on there. This isn't Mill Valley. This is the wild Hawaiian coast. And we're not worried about that. No, uh-huh. it was very sweet. I really liked it. Nice. <laughs> so you have a few minutes here to talk about whatever you're doing and whatever you'd like to get more of, I guess, of people and clients, what would you like to talk about for yourself? Well, I think like most um, therapists in these trying times right now, my practice is full. I do have a wait list. That's an option. The main thing is my book, which will be coming out in end of August. Oh, so great. After that comes out, I'm going to be offering an expressive arts group for people traveling with grief. Oh, nice. So that's the main thing that I'm working towards offering for people. So if you're interested in that, stay tuned. My website is Dr. Linda Shanti, D-R-L-A-N-D-A-S-H-A-N-T-I.com. And I started Grief and Art 
Instagram. So at grief and art. Yeah. So those are my main things right now. I still work a lot with eating disorder recovery and new moms. Those will always be labors of love. And then folding in the grief work. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad to know you. And I'm so grateful that you're doing this work. Thank goodness people are. Thank goodness. Really? Yeah. Look for the helpers. You have been an amazing resource for me too. Like I told you, I still have your book and I use your two meditations around having a dialogue with part of your body and the meditation on finding your spiritual guide and with clients. Oh, so see, you never know how your purpose is going to affect someone else. No, we don't. And I think a lot of us, we're just us on the path. We're just Wow, isn't this interesting? This path took this turn, huh? Okie dokie. Well, I could drink and smoke and take drugs again, but probably won't be any different than it was last time. So maybe I'll just go ahead and keep going down the path, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. That's just filling the hole. Good luck to you. And I was surprised when I saw your address that you're living so far away from San Francisco, but... I'm glad that you're around family, it sounds like. I'm around family, and I'm living around lots of beautiful nature. We got hummingbirds and orioles visiting the backyard. Oh, nice. Seasons. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're in the world and a big pea person, human. (laughs) Right back at you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food Podcast. Thanks so much.